On this podcast, we only listen to the Mountain Goats. What about Sun City Girls? On this podcast, we only listen to the Mountain Goats and the Sun City Girls. Wait, what about Vander Graaff Generator? <sighs> On this podcast, we only listen to the Mountain Goats and the Sun City Girls and Vandy Graaff Generator. What about the legendary Stardust Cowboy? On this podcast, we only listen to the Mountain Goats and the Sun City Girls and Vandy Graaff Generator. And you will know us by the Trail of Dead, Big Audio Dynamite 2, 100 Flowers, the band with the guys who were in the urinals and Trotsky Ice Pick, 100 Flowers, the band with the guys who evidently didn't know how to use the internet to look up if a potential band name had been taken, 2 New, and the score to The Day the Clown Cried. Is that it? That's gotta be it. Wait, what about the Dave Matthews band? Look up at the sky. This is Discord and Rhyme. nerds and welcome to discord and rhyme a podcast where we discuss our favorite albums song by song you can find us on both twitter and instagram at discord pod and our website discordpod.com has show notes and an ever-expanding archive of old episodes tons and tons of old episodes you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, stitcher spotify and all the podcast places in podcast land i'm rich bennell dan watkins chris willie williams and we have a returning guest today brent hurd Hey, Brent, how's it going? Doing great. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, uh, Brent is my friend from Ann Arbor, and he joined us last time on the Rhiannon Giddens episode, and we decided to have him back, I guess. I, I'm absolutely thrilled. I'm maybe a little bit too much of a Mountain Goat super fan, so I am... <laughs> oh, you spoiled it. No, I'm just... <laughs> everyone who downloaded the episode saw the title. Uh, anyway, so before we start, we have a new Patreon donor to thank, and that is Barry. Thanks much, Barry. And if other listeners would like to support the show and get some cool perks in the process, you can visit patreon.com slash discord pod. So Will is taking us on a road trip today. What have you got for us, Will? Today we will be road tripping, I guess, through Tallahassee by the Mountain Goats. Though I should warn you, you should not road trip through the actual Tallahassee. <laughs> so and why this fabulously depressing album will i've always loved romantic breakup songs and albums even before i ever really experienced the emotion of love let alone heartbreak i've always found something about heartbreak songs far more compelling than any other topic when done well by say like bob mold i guess it says something about how cynical and contrary and i've always been that i'm more attentive to anti-love songs than the 
scads of love songs that have been written in popular music. But this album, though, manages to turn the whole motif inside out. Tallahassee is about a man and a woman who know they probably should break up and who know they're compatible entirely for the wrong reasons to the degree that they are compatible, but who stubbornly, self-destructively refuse to call it quits. Mountain Goat's frontman John Darneal is the most humane lyricist I've ever heard, singing his songs about and through characters who may be awful people in any number of ways, but he always tries to understand them and why they do what they do rather than outright condemning or mocking them. And this album is a prime example of that. So, well, tell us a little bit about you and the Mountain Goats. What brought you to their music? I was talking with some random chat room acquaintance on AOL, which is now the technological equivalent of using bloodletting to treat every ailment. So it must have been like 2003. And this this person told me that I'd probably like the Mountain Goats because they sound kind of like Neutral Milk Hotel. And... <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm well aware of your feelings on the topic. But in fact, there is a bootleg live recording floating around out there of the Mountain Goats covering Neutral Milk Hotel's Two-Headed Boy. So I I bought Tallahassee, which at the time was the Mountain Goat's most recent, and I absolutely loved it. So in a drunken stupor while working at Barnes & Noble one day, I decided to order every other available Mountain Goat's album from our warehouse so I could use my employee discount on them. And a few days later, something like 10 Mountain Goat's CDs showed up for me. None of those impressed me to the degree that Tallahassee did, but it would be very difficult to do that. And uh, the Mountain Goats have released another 10 albums or so since this one. Some great, some not so, but I always find them interesting. Did you order those 10 in a drunken stupor? <laughs> uh, I didn't order them. I just wandered, sort of staggered into the record store in a drunken stupor, <laughs> as is my want. <laughs> I no longer work at Barnes & Noble, which is why I feel comfortable telling you that. <laughs> <laughs> So, Brent, you're our guest. You're our returning guest. Why don't you tell us about your history with the Mountain Goats? Thanks so much. So the first Mountain Goats song I heard actually was also sent to me uh, via an online chat room, though it was through Facebook Messenger. So I think our medicine practices were approaching something closer to being informed by the scientific <laughs> method uh, at <laughs> that point. But uh, it was actually it was the song Woke Up New, which you all clipped on the Joni Mitchell episode you did on Blue. And I just really love that song. It's heartbreaking. It's vivid and it's beautiful. And if the listener hasn't heard that song yet, I'd actually encourage you to quickly press pause and give that song a listen, because I really think yeah. it is an excellent introduction to just how talented a lyricist John Darnielle is. It's be it's a rough one, to, <laughs> but it's beautiful. 
Yeah, so then I asked my friend who sent me the song for some Mountain Goats album recommendations, and he recommended both Tallahassee and the Sunset Tree, which are probably pretty good starting points for anyone looking to get into the band. And Tallahassee absolutely blew me away. Darniel's lyrics are really specific with the depictions he uses, and they really paint very precise pictures, but that also tend to resonate in a much broader way with the listener. And so I fell head over heel for the bands and pretty much subsequently listened through their discography, uh, though perhaps not quite in the same inebriated state. But um, (laughs) yeah, they're a superb group and he's a truly talented lyricist. Dan, how about you? Uh, Well, I'm probably going to be the the least versed in the Mountain Goats here. Uh, They're a band that I heard about for years, uh, probably from you, actually, Will, most likely. Most likely. (laughs) But it wasn't until like a few years ago, I really got into The Best Show on WFMU, which is hosted by Tom Sharpling and features John Worster, who's drummed in about a hundred different bands, uh, most notably Super Chunk and including The Mountain Goats. And so just through being a fan of John Worster, I kind of just checked out everything else he's done, which inevitably brought me to The Mountain Goats. And they're an interesting case where they're a band that I've seen live a couple of times where they were outstanding. But I just haven't bought more than a handful of their albums. Um, I like them, but I just never really completely dug into them. And I'm actually brand new to this album. And just as a spoiler, this is by far the favorite of the, the ones I've heard. Great. So as for me, uh, when this came out, I was writing CD reviews for UC Berkeley's Daily Californian. And because I was trained in music by this crowd, I was excited to get my hands on promo copies of albums like, say, Tom Petty's The Last DJ and Peter Gabriel's Up. But I was always suspicious of anything that smelled like indie rock Um, because most of the artists I hadn't heard of that came through the arts desk were generally pretty dire just from a statistical perspective. That's always going to happen. Uh, But I didn't know that yet. Uh, So when my friend David reviewed this and praised the hell out of it, I didn't give it much of a chance at all, in part because it had the Neutral Milk Hotel resemblance, and I'd already started building up my guards against them. But I won't be a a brat about that in this episode. Don't you worry. Uh, But anyway, I eventually loosened up and properly gave them a chance when the Sunset Tree came out in 2005. Uh, And just as soon as I heard this year, I realized that I'd just been gravely, gravely mistaken. My broken house behind me and good things ahead. A girl named Kathy wants a little of my time. Six cylinders underneath the hood crashing and kicking. Ah, listen to the engine whine. I am gonna make it through this year if it kills me. I am gonna make it through this year if it kills me. So I've been into them ever since, uh, though I never actually went back and revisited Tallahassee until now, which <laughs> feels like how I watched all of Sergio Leone's other movies before The Good, The Bad and The Ugly, which is kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm really into them. And I've seen The Mountain Goats twice live, though neither of them has been a good experience, sadly. I saw them in 2008 and the crowd was just full of bros, which for huh. some reason, which was annoying. <laughs> Uh, And then I saw them more recently in 2015 on the Beat the Champ tour at the Majestic in Michigan. And and they had the house lights on at the bar and just people started to talk and it was really irritating. And eventually I'll see Mountain Goats like in a with a good crowd. But yeah. Yeah. It just breaks my heart to hear that because I've I've had the opportunity to see them three times and all have been really superb shows. They're one of those bands that I think, you know, records very well, but really comes alive uh, when you see them live. Yeah, the shows I saw, the crowd was shockingly well behaved, but I could see how they'd be a band where a bad crowd would definitely tank a show. 
Yeah, I think I just rolled a bad crowd twice. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to see them again. In particular, if you can see Darniel playing a solo show, by the way, mm-hmm. I'd really recommend it because it opens up uh, the space a little more and he talks a whole lot about the songs and the process behind them, which is really great. I'll make sure to do that. So, okay, well, tell us all about John Darniel <laughs> and the Mountain Goats. Spray our dreams on any surface where the paint will stick. Try to time the rhythm. Listen for the click. Rise if you're sleeping, stay awake. Rise if you're sleeping, stay awake. We are young supernovas, and the heat's about to break. Oh, all about. The Mountain Goats. A while back, I was trying to think of which artist has released their definitive masterpiece the furthest into their career, and the Mountain Goats are certainly in the running. Now, John Darniel insists the Mountain Goats have always been a band, even though there are plenty of earlier recordings on which the band's ingredients list is limited to John Darniel, and occasionally a woman identified only as Rachel. However, he now has a stable backing lineup of bassist Peter Hughes, multi-instrumentalist Matt Douglas, and as uh, Dan mentioned, drummer John Worcester, who's drummed for such well-regarded acts as Superchunk and Bob Mould, but whose greatest accomplishment is being half of the comedy duo Sharpling and Worcester. Back to the Mountain Goats, though, uh, Darniel also possesses a terrific wit and often infuses his lyrics with very funny lines that don't take away from the dark, authentic emotions his songs evoke. It's a truly impressive balance that he's honed over probably literally at least a thousand songs since the time he started recording and releasing intense lo-fi cassettes and eventually label-backed albums in, um, since 1991. Some of those are loads of fun, like the sadly dated song Cubs in Five. Some of them are less fun and more on the heartbreaking scale of things. But no matter what he's doing, I can't think of another rock lyricist who puts so much thought into trying to understand these characters that he's created. Initially, I thought he was interested in sort of pinning humanity to a cork board and then examining these creatures dispassionately like an etymologist as they flailed helplessly, sort of like the Coen brothers often do. But after a while, I realized that as funny as he is, Darniel wasn't mocking. He was trying to get his brain and arms around characters who sometimes do ghastly things. He was doing so in the hope of somehow dissuading people in real life from hurting real people the same way. Darniel had an absolutely horrifying childhood, and that's been documented on the Mountain Goat's fine album, The Sunset Tree, as well as his utterly 
harrowing appearance on Mark Maron's WTF podcast. So we're not going to we needn't get into it here. Uh, this led him to a life of hard drugs and crime until finally some officer or judge evidently saw him, something in him, Jesse Pinkman style, and basically gave Darniel the option of jail or education. Darniel chose the non-jail path and became a psychiatric nurse. And that's when he began recording strikingly intense, furiously strummed songs with little more than an acoustic guitar and a cheapo Panasonic boombox. Though the sound quality may have rivaled that of a half-melted Edison wax cylinder, major indie labels began sniffing around the mountain goats following the cult he was developing with interestingly literate and endlessly discussable records like All Hail West Texas. Finally, the band signed with well-known British indie label 4AD, who gave them the resources to record a record at a proper studio. The band decided to swing for the fences, apparently, and chose Dave Friedman's Tarbox Studios, the place best known for constructing the Flaming Lips' impenetrable walls of sound on albums like Zyreka and the Soft Bulletin. Now, make no mistake, Tallahassee sounds nothing like those sensory overload indie milestones, but Although I'm sure there were ample cries of sellout upon this album's release, it's great to finally be able to hear the subtleties of Darniel's vocals when he chooses to include a dash of them, and for the listener to be able to listen to standouts like International Small Arms Traffic Blues without being distracted by the grinding of the Panasonic cassette recorder. Now, as for Tallahassee, it's a concept album slash sort of epitaph for the alpha couple. Now, the alpha couple is a man and a woman who've been standing with their hands around each other's necks on the edge of a cliff for years now, each too stubborn and secretly terrified to give in and be the one to step off. Well, they each have one hand around the other's neck. Their other respective hands are around the neck of the cheapest bottles of gin they can find. Darniel's been writing about them and their booze-sodden, overdue abortion of a relationship since the first Mountain Goats release with the 1992 song One Winter at Point Alpha Privative. I admittedly haven't studied the lyrics of the full Alpha Couple playlist, but my theory about the two is that they were Southern California high school sweeties who got together for no reason other than they were both pretty. A prom king and queen expected to be into one another or some such. They had nothing really in common, but that inertia, and perhaps the fundamentalist religion of their relatives, propelled them into marriage pretty quickly after graduation, and that was the point where they realized they neither knew nor especially liked one another. For one reason or another, neither of them will admit that they would both be better off dissolving this sulfuric acid ipecac smoothie of a relationship, so they've succumbed to a game of chicken in which they both devote their lives to drinking and making the other miserable, seemingly in the hopes of getting the other to call it quits, or at least kickstart some sort of Randy Quaid-esque folly ado. As far as I can tell, Darnell has confirmed that the Alpha Couple has moved multiple times from their Southern California ground zero in an attempt to start over and make things work between them. But the backwoods dilapidated part of Florida's capital city that they ultimately wind up in isn't the sort of place that invites fresh starts. 
unless you're looking to start a new round of antibiotics. The following comes from the liner notes of Tallahassee. Darnell writes, Some people might say that buying a house you've never actually seen close up is a bad idea, but what does anybody know about our needs anyhow? For us, it was perfect. The peeling paint, the old cellar, the garden in the back, the porch out front, the still air of the living room, the attic. Everywhere completely unfurnished and doomed to remain largely so, save for our own meager offerings. An old mattress, a couple of chairs, and some ashtrays. Maybe a table salvaged from some diner gone into bankruptcy. I don't remember. Neither do you. We drank store-brand gin with fresh lime juice out of plastic cups or straight from the bottle, and we spread ourselves out face-up on the wooden floors. An aerial view of us might have suggested we'd been knocked down, but what we were doing was staking our claim, establishing our territories, making good. Not on the vows we'd made, but on the ones we'd really meant. You produced a wallet-sized transistor radio out of somewhere, and you found a sympathetic station. Somebody was playing Howlin' Wolf, Smokestack Lightning. Oh yes, I loved you once. Oh yes, you loved me more. We entered our new house like a virus entering its host. You following me, me following you, however you like. And I think that's a perfect introduction for this here album, Tallahassee. Well, that makes for a heartwarming start to the holiday season, don't you think? <laughs> I would far rather listen to that paragraph over and over than any Christmas carol, even once. I'm with you. So, all right, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to haul ass to Tallahassee. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Mountain Goats fan. Or if you're not a Mountain Goats fan, you should be. If you're digging Discord and Rhyme and you want to help the show grow, there are a couple ways. The easiest and cheapest is to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or any podcast service that has ratings. Or just spread the word in general on social media, to friends, during small talk with record store clerks, or on Reddit, which I'm terrified of because I'm old. If you'd like to support us with a monthly donation, we also have a Patreon at patreon.com slash discordpod with some fun perks. And thanks to everyone who's signed up so far. This helps a lot with the show's overhead costs, as well as the time we put into research, writing, production, and promotion. We really try to put an extra level of polish and effort into Discord and Rhyme to make it as good as it can be, and that helps a lot. Also, Amanda Rogers and I recently had the chance to talk about Discord and Rhyme and how it all came together on the show Your Podcast or Mine, which you can find on any podcast service. With that, back to the Mountain Goats. And we're back. It's time to roll down the road to Tallahassee. Appropriately enough, things start out with the title track. This is Tallahassee. Window facing An ill-kept front yard Plums on the tree Heavy with nectar Prayers to summon the destroying angel Moon stuttering in the sky like film Stuck in a projector And you You Now just one quick note 
Uh, before I get things rolling, Darniel almost always deliberately leaves the couple's genders unspecified during these songs, but I'm going to refer to the narrator probably with male pronouns as I talk, just because it's coming from John Darniel's mouth. So even if the songs may actually oscillate between the two narrators, just bear in mind that when I say he, I could mean she on pretty much any track except No Children, which specifies, I hope I lie and tell everyone you were a good wife. It's like God. <laughs> just think <laughs> of it that way. <laughs> anyway, as to Tallahassee. The intro to this album isn't quite subliminal, but it almost feels sublingual. The narrator allows its implications and realizations to slowly dissolve under his tongue and spread throughout his brain. There are loosens by the score, what did I come down here for? You. Is a pretty telling line. It's a washed out attempt between these two to fix things. The couple's willing to upend their lives in the hopes that it'll, it'll land somewhere more positive than where they were. But I don't think either of them really believes their relationship is anything but completely hopeless. They're just going through the motions. What do you guys think? Well, I think the sequencing of this album is interesting, especially on vinyl, because the songs on side one strike me as much more universal before the couple truly plunges into hell. Spoiler. Uh, and I think a lot of the appeal of this album is that people see a lot of themselves in it. I mean, they're called the alpha couple after all. Like, there's a certain, like, yeah, couple X to them. And so, like, just moving a gigantic distance for another person is just generally a very relatable experience. And something I've done, I moved to Michigan six years ago so my wife could pursue her grad studies. And for the first couple of years, pretty much anything I did was in the context of something she was doing. And it, I mean, I, I eventually found like plenty to do for myself. But anyway, what, I, what I'm saying is that in the case of the alpha couple where there are no goals, no ambitions, no anything really to escape that state, just listening to the way Darniel ends each verse with you, it just sounds so defeated, like he's hitting those notes out of obligation. I'd agree with that. <laughs> Yeah, I, this song does an excellent job of scene setting and really setting the atmosphere for the album, which, you know, is always a good thing to do if you're going to do a concept album. But I think it really lays out the tension of this situation that the couple is in amid a very lush backdrop. So you have that oscillating bass line playing underneath soft instrumentals and lyrics, which are both uh, strike the line between being both beautiful and unsettling. Uh, my favorite being moon stuttering in the sky like film stuck in a projector. It really captures that duality there um, of beautiful and unsettling. I I will comment, I guess, quickly on Darniel's voice here in that a lot of people who start uh, listening to the Mountain Goats in their sort of early aughts period will sometimes find Darniel's voice to be a little bit nasally. And on softer tracks like this, I think it can detract occasionally. Um, his singing improves later in uh, throughout the band's catalog. That being said, I don't think it really is a big deal, but I also got into singer-songwriters via 70s-era Neil Young, so nasal singing <laughs> clearly never bothered me. This was the first studio-slash-full-band Mountain Goats album, and I think the, t the title track's interesting to listen to in that context, in that it is very lush and definitely a departure from the staticky, harsher sound you would have heard from the Panasonic Boombox albums. Um, and All Hail West Texas, the last of those albums, actually came out the same year as Tallahassee, uh, just a few months prior, and so that would have been a really big sonic jump for someone following the career of the Mountain Goats. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have a, a clip queued up from All Hail West Texas to sort of show 
what the difference would have been jumping ahead. And it's of the song The Mess Inside, which is not about the alpha couple, but also about a couple trying to move and relocate as an attempt to rekindle their relationship. So something similar. We took a weekend, drove to Provo. The snow was white and fluffy. The weekend in Utah won't fix what's wrong with us. The sky was vast and real cryptic above me. I wanted you to love me like you used to do. You brought up the uh, the line "moon stuttering in the sky" like film stuck in a projector. I, I like that line too, and it like brings to mind to me that this album has kind of like a screenplay like thing going on, like. It's about a, it's a story about a couple, but it's not just a plot from point A to point B, but more like a series of vignettes and images that like kind of come together to compose a larger theme, which is a big part of what I like about it. That's an awesome way to put it. Yeah, this album really cares about atmosphere, and I think it does an awesome job of painting this picture, this very, very bleak picture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Uh, well, I, I'm just saying I compare everything to a movie and John Darnielle makes it very, very easy on this album. Uh, but anyway, what do you think, Dan? You know, going back to his voice, I actually really like his voice here. It, it's definitely limited, but I think he uses it really well, especially in the last verse where he really kind of starts to flesh out the melody a little more with the loose ends by the score a bit. And also just with the speaking of the concept albumness of this album, is this a song that's played live very often? I was curious. I've, I'm not sure. Seen, I've seen them five times, and I don't believe I've ever heard him play it. Because I feel like it's of all the songs, this is the one that maybe stand on its own the least in terms of it being specifically a scene setter to something else. That's why I was sort of curious mm-hmm. if it's something that is ever kind of removed from Tallahassee as just, well, the song's called Tallahassee. But if it's ever removed from the album <laughs> in this context, you know. His set lists are very well cataloged, so we can look that up afterwards. Yeah, I'd be curious to know that, too. Okay, it's time to move on through these first few desperate hours. These recordings actually last like 16 hours and we edit them way down. (laughs) It's a nightmare. (laughs) We're not allowed to eat. comes in from Tampa Bad luck comes in from Tampa On the back of a truck Doing 90 up the interstate We have bad dreams the night he rolls in We have bad dreams the night he rolls in And we try To keep our spirits high But they fly they wait when the truck pulls up out front in the light spring rain and they sigh like withering flowers let the good times roll on through these first few desperate hours so the Whatever, even if the optimism of the title track, I don't entirely believe 
and <laughs> it's fatally run over by the moving truck in the driveway as soon as the movers show up to bring their stuff. It only took a two hours for this little theater set to start collapsing and injuring people like Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark did. <laughs> <laughs> I love this song. It's bad, with less U2 involved, hopefully. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Although I agree with um, something Rich said earlier about how the album does stay on a pretty steady downward trajectory toward sending this couple into hell. I th I feel like this early on is the moment where all hope is extinguished, whatever may have been left. This is the abandoned hope sign. <laughs> More or less, only it's got a rider truck logo on the on it instead <laughs> yeah i really love the sharp contrast between the deeper slower sound of tallahassee and this really quick acoustic guitar strumming that kicks off this song almost as if it is like a bright yellow garish warning sign um one of the things i really love about darnell and the mountain goats is that although the lyrics are often about really dark and difficult things there's often a very wry sense of humor that goes through them and i think this song's a great example of that um i really love the image of a personified bad luck speeding into town uh from tampa and you know it's got lines like the sun peeks in like a killer through the curtains um yeah you know, darker lyrics with bright, relatively quick music is a hallmark of this era of the Mountain Goats, and it works really effectively on songs like this. Well, I like it. This is the first example, like, where he's really attacking the guitar, like he's really shredding. And I wanted to bring up mm. his metal fandom. He loves metal. He even wrote the 33 and a third book on Black Sabbath's Master of Reality. Uh, and, and you can just really hear it on songs like this. Mm -hmm. Dan, what about you? You know, I got curious in Google Map, the... Uh the distance from Tampa to Tallahassee and it is a four hour drive. And I thought that would be an awful length of time to be in a car with these two people. I can only imagine. <laughs> yeah. Though I'm actually curious about the geography of this album, because like one thing is that John Darnielle picked Tallahassee because it's as far away as he could think of. And also later in the album, they mentioned like be like coming from California and not Tampa. So I don't know. Maybe I'm overthinking it. I've never been to Tallahassee, but it is right smack in the panhandle, which is not glamorous Florida by any means. It's mm. terrible. It's the worst. Yeah. And I'm from Alabama, so I think I'm punching up. <laughs> so <laughs> I can say that. <laughs> I've never been to Florida, so I can't partake in the national pastime of making fun of Florida. You can. In any good faith. <laughs> um, yeah, this, the couple started their life in Southern California. Um, apparently, once things started going wrong, they they moved to Nevada along the Strip and spent a year drinking there. That didn't work. So they moved. They just kept moving along the South as far down as they could go. And I don't actually know... Now I'm going to have to pull up a map of Tallahassee. The uh, I should have done my listening up on the Alpha Couple. I, uh, now Mountain Goats fans are going to write in and just accuse me of not doing my homework, which is true. I did not do my Alpha Couple homework. <laughs> well, you, you know, Florida, the further north you go, the, the further south you go culturally. So it's kind of backwards. I've definitely seen him mention in some interviews the idea of if you're going from California, you know, and you're just 
going south and east, you know, Florida is pretty much the last place you're going to end up and just having that sort of ratchet up the tension of the situation. And with this perception of just like there is nowhere else to go and we're sort of at the end of the world here. <laughs> we'll give that a few decades. <laughs> <laughs> it is probably a much lower cost of living, I'd imagine, than Southern California as well. So I'm sure that helps. Yeah, I think the suggestion was they used to be relatively well off, but they just hated each other so, so much that they wound up just blowing all their money on alcohol. Basically, they gave up their jobs. They just gave up, period. But to go back to the uh, to the screenplay thing, there's kind of a nonlinear thing going on here. So he mentions when the truck pulls up out front in the light spring rain. But the first song, it's no, it takes place during the summer. So this is a clever signpost that this is a flashback to when they arrived, which I think is pretty cool. That is a nice catch because I've wondered uh, whether we were meant to take a lot of this as chronological. Yeah, that's interesting. I always assumed it was chronological starting with first few desperate hours and sort of like Mm -hmm. Tallahassee was you are much more of a, a film expert than I am. But when a movie sort of opens in a scene that's actually occurring near the middle of the narrative, then the title card happens and then you jump way back to the beginning of the yeah. narrative. Ooh, and media res. Yeah, just a nonlinear yeah. narrative. Uh, it, yeah, well, so Tallahassee strikes me as a song that would happen a few months into their being there. Like it, they've settled in a little bit and he's starting to resent her or, you know, vice versa. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's cool. Like it's like we're suddenly like zipping back and all of a sudden we're seeing like the the moving truck show up and just the the horrible beams of light coming in through the window. And it, yeah, it's very cinematic. It's a very cinematic album. I really like that observation that that sort of reframed everything in my mind <laughs> about this album. And now I'm excited to have something to think about after we're done recording Carrie. Yeah, so I didn't create this, like, you know, huge, like, primer-style map of the chronology of Tallahassee or anything, so <laughs> that's all I got. Don't be expecting anymore. Well, no, but even even that is interesting, because I've, I've often wondered whether that was, this was meant to show just one continuous downslide between these, these two sad, sad people, or, or whether they were already there at the bottom and... <laughs> Maybe there was the occasional spike, but probably not. <laughs> it's it's probably not going anywhere. All right, folks, let's get rolling down Southwood Plantation Road. Like minefields, no one's found a safe way through one yet. I spend a lot of money, I buy a white gold. We raise up a little roof against the cold on Southwood Plantation Road, where at night the stars blow like milk across the sky, where the high wires drop, where the fat crows fly. Brent, do you want to? Go first on this one, because I like what you have to say more than what I have to say. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sure. Uh, Lyrically, this song continues on the themes of the previous track, further painting a picture of this troubled, toxic marriage. 
you know, musically, despite the organ tone really high on top, I think this song highlights the dynamic between Darnell's frenetic guitar strumming and Peter Hughes's bass playing. Um, around this era, they would often play live as a duo act, and I think this song really showcases their musical dynamic together. Um, I'll also just throw out there that I think Peter Hughes is a really talented and underrated bassist who carries a lot of movement in the songs with his playing. Yeah, Peter Hughes for sure is one fun thing when they both really get going on a song like this, Darnell and Hughes, is that they both will share glances on stage like two little like two teenagers in, in a basement who are just like, can you believe how hard we're <laughs> rocking right now? It is adorable. It, it is really sweet to see them live. Like they definitely communicate with little head nods and everything. And yeah, and John Worcester is just like their scruffy cousin who's just happy to be able to play the drums. And he doesn't really care what he's playing as long as he gets to. Politely playing with brushes. Yeah. <laughs> In this song, that's uh, Flaming Lips bassist Michael Ivins on the tambourine. Just for for some pointless trivia. Um, Really stands out. Yeah, you can. (laughs) It's that that Michael Ivan's uh, personality. Touch only he has. He's carefully cultivated over the years. (laughs) He's just such a such a drama queen up there with like Kanye. So, yeah, I think uh, that's that's probably among one of one of the catchiest songs on on the album, obviously. But. One theory my my wife had, which I really liked, which um, goes with this song, they talk about uh, putting on their Sunday best and mingling with unsuspecting Christian men. And Bev feels like just to just for something to do, they're both so bored. The woman will just go to church, even though she's not a believer. She's not interested in actually connecting with these people (laughs) she just likes to go out and kind of screw with them like this is already the second breaking bad reference of the episode and i know i've got to cut back but like when (laughs) marie's character would go to open houses and just tell completely different strange backstories for herself <laughs> it seems like they're just they're so trapped in this this town, this community of so few people that sometimes they just have to screw with everyone else just <laughs> because there's nothing else to do and they can't stand each other. I liked that idea. <laughs> well, I can see why this song appeals to you in particular, Will. That fuzz <laughs> makes it sound kind of like an elephant six band, especially like Apples and uh-huh. Stereo or something. Yeah. Uh, is what I'm thinking of. I also like the way that Darnell first amps up the tempo on track two and then like hits you with a full band arrangement on track three. Like uh, it's once again, it's the stop making sense effect. Like I just know, thought of that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Gradually building it up as it goes along. Yes. And if I may obnoxiously extend the film metaphor even further, this is sort of like the master shot of the street the alpha couple live on. And uh, what we're hearing is like the theme music, like kind of like the Green Acres is the place to be. (laughs) (laughs) Except neither of them want to be there. They've each dragged each other to Southwood Plantation Road. It's the bleakest sitcom on TV. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to I'm going to be imagining every song from here on out being sung by Mr. Haney. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, I, I don't know if any if either you were going to refer to the pitchfork review of this album no. by any chance. I, I read it and it is maddening. Oh, uh, yeah. They gave it like a six point something. And one of the big gripes the reviewer had was I don't know how much this album was hyped as being the first full band album for the, for the Mountain Goats, but he took a, a great issue with the fact that I guess there's not just a muscular rhythm section on every song on here. Because <laughs> I think one of the album's strengths is how subtly the additional instruments are incorporated in the songs in a very effective way. Yeah. And like, I guess I didn't realize I was an organist trying to identify what that was. But uh, but this is one of those songs where... That was a total assumption. <laughs> I, it makes sense, yeah. I guess it kind of has that distorted... It's not, it's not like a guitar, but... But yeah, I, I like kind of having these little gradual introductions of different instrumental touches throughout the album. And this is the first one to really kind of hear that. But uh, yeah, this is a good one. Yeah, I feel like I must have not even made it to this song when I listened to the album initially because I would have liked this song. Oh, no. I almost wonder how much of the press kit for this album was amping up that it was like the first full band Mountain Goats release because a large number of the reviews, even outside of the Pitchfork one, focus, I think, a disproportionate amount of their, you know, word count on how it's, you know, the first Mountain Goats studio album, etc. And don't really talk a whole lot about the album's merits sort of on its own, Mm -hmm. uh, which going back is pretty frustrating. And strange because it is... It's one continuous, or or maybe not continuous, but one discrete story throughout that's pretty interesting and pretty, you know, coming from some characters that can be pretty vile. You would you'd think that that would be a, a font of questions for any interviewer. <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine listening to this album for the first time and having my major takeaway be, hey, there's six instruments on this song rather than, you know, (laughs) this like detailed character study that's happening here. Well, doesn't it begin with something like we now like meet for the Society of Concept Albums, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) Yeah, he is going to weird thing about concept albums. I did not know 2002 was a big year for concept albums. Mm -hmm. I I guess it was, according to this guy. I don't know. I didn't check his work. Are we done? Then come on down to track four. Game shows touch our lives. <laughs> no. Dug up a fifth of Hood River gin. That stuff tastes like medicine, but I'll take it. It'll do. On the couch in the living room all day long. Music on the television playing our song And I'm in the mood The mood for you Turn the volume up real high All of that money Look at it fly and you smoking Like a chimney Shadows crawled across the living room's length I held on to you with a desperate strength With everything With everything in me I handed you a drink of the lovely little thing On which our survival depends People say friends don't destroy one another 
What do they know about friends? This song reminded me of a comic strip from 1993 of Matt Groening's Life in Hell, uh, where the two characters, Akbar and Jeff, who are identical lovers, have a conversation. And so I'm just going to, uh, along with Rich, if that's all right, Rich, do you have yeah, the script? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. We're just going to uh, recreate an abridged version of the of what they say here, because that's what this song immediately called to mind for me. One of the characters says, how would you describe our relationship? Raging, screaming fights. Long, sullen silences. Bitter recriminations. Joylessness. Numbness. Seething anger. A feeling of utter hopelessness. Random moments of bizarre, arbitrary tenderness that somehow keep us going. And then they, in the final panel, they silently touch fingers and that's it. Oh, it's <laughs> wow <laughs> yeah <laughs> also we really lay on the simpsons references on this cast but this is the first life in hell reference job well. <laughs> yeah, that's a deep one <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah i this song is is like that it's just very it's almost brutal in a dozen different ways <laughs> which is very impressive I'm not sure whether I've ever consumed Hood River gin personally, but probably since in my mid-20s I'd drink anything that wasn't nailed down, because putting the nail through the cup would almost certainly create a small hole through which the liquid would escape, so what's the point? So I can't confirm or deny that it tastes like medicine, but probably Lunasta. At any rate, it's pathetic. That way, it's pathetic that they have this little connection when they're drunk it's pathetic that the price is right and press your luck are aspirational to them even when the narrator says i'm in the mood for you under ordinary circumstances that would be like a, a smooth beast style come on but in this context it's something closer to i'm in the mood where i can tolerate your personality i think yeah, there's still very, very muted love and passion in this relationship, but it's kind of, it's, it's flickering. I think this is about as tender as they ever get with each other, and it's just so sad. Yeah, so this is uh, one of the first songs on this album that are really like, uh, is like a fan classic or a fan favorite. And if you see a Mountain Goat show live with a really good crowd, one of the things I really love is that people will sing along to specific lines. And so there's really something like moving and cathartic about hearing a whole crowd sing along to people say friends don't destroy one another. What do they know about <laughs> friends? Um, and it's just like a really unique feeling that you, you don't really get at other shows. When I worked at Barnes and Noble, uh, I worked with this, uh, 60 something year old woman who happened to be in the, the stock room where I worked while I was listening to this album. And that line cracked her the hell up. <laughs> she loved that. It's, it's it's really one of those all time lines from him, I think. Um, it, another interesting thing about this song is it really zooms in on sort of the alcoholism component of this relationship. And I really love how mundane its images are of alcohol mm -hmm. dependency. 
um, you know, related to the narrator's perception that they're drinking is one of the only things keeping this couple together. But it connects these images of alcohol dependency and squalor with the escapism of the excesses of commercial capitalism through TV game shows. Yeah. And I just I just really love like our house sinking into disrepair. Ah, but look at this showroom filled with fabulous prizes. You know, mm-hmm. it's 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 just so strikingly sad that that's the framing. Yeah. Well, I for one spent way too much of my 20s living out this song after work, except it was prestige television and Rob Roy's made of $10 Trader Joe's scotch. But <laughs> uh, well, it, it didn't last. We eventually grew up and not just because Trader Joe's doesn't sell spirits in Michigan. Uh, but the point is that in America, getting wasted and passing out on the couch to TV is one of the cheapest forms of entertainment there is. And without like a purpose or quest to one's relationship, it's easy to get caught in that infinite loop. And by the way, this is the last time I'll compare my relationship to the alpha couple. I, I, I can just hear my my wife's eyes widening. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's one of the things that makes this album so like resonant, though, is there's like enough in there that you can latch on to or, or that resonates with you. And it's terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, there's just enough that's relatable on the first half, I think. And then you're then the second half comes around and you're like, oh, whoa, don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> the old Hood River Gin, I thought of uh, the Flaming Homer, actually. It's kind of charming. No, I think I think Brent had a good point where the mundaneness is what makes it so sad. Uh, I think that's what yeah, makes it right. so effective. Um but, you know, what's interesting is the pairing of these lyrics with a really gorgeous melody. Like that little subtle electric guitar line is really, really pretty. Uh, mm-hmm. But this might be one of my favorites. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't know if I've ever heard this live or not. I wasn't familiar for this album to really know. But uh, but this is like a regular concert favorite. Is that right? It's a semi-regular uh, concert one. So I don't know. Out of the three shows I've seen, they've only played it once. But um, but I think it comes up fairly regularly, hmm. but not every show. All right. This title isn't ominous. Here's The House That Drip Blood. Look beyond the broken bottles. Past the rotting wooden stairs. Root out the wine dark. I think it's a fantastic song and I'm surprised you don't hear more discussion of it because it's it feels like there's a lot there and yet there's it's less specific than usual as far as what the point of the song is. There's certainly a lot of detail as far as the the house's architecture and all the <laughs> what the the property brothers might have to say about it but it's <laughs> but i don't 
quite understand if they're having like a oh what's the word not a not an inspection but a like a any value evaluation taking place like are they refinancing <laughs> or just, huh. i don't think it's anything that specific i think it's just like the camera so to speak it, like you're getting a guided third person perspective here like you're someone wandering through the house and say like a bad dream or more appropriately a horror movie like this uh, the, the house that dripped blood is literally a movie from the early 70s right mm-hmm. um, is, that, is that one i know there's the dorm that dripped blood or, oh, is that maybe, another one maybe. It wouldn't surprise mm-hmm. me. Either way, the title also makes me think of The Shining and uh, the Amityville Horror and um, things like that. Yeah, the, what you said is really kind of how I feel about it. Like, I, I love this one, but I don't know what it means. It sure sounds sinister and evil, though, which I like. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> musically it's it's terrific. And it reminds me a lot of a really good Robert Pollard and Doug Gillard song called Do Something Real. They have kind of a similar riff, that kind of swaggering uh, kind of way to them. But yeah, it, it's kind of cool just hearing this injection of darkness at this point in the album. I really, really like this one. Yeah, I'd say that's probably the main thing it does in the context of the album is it really injects this sort of menacing feeling in there with that baseline, just the, you know, blown out harmonica solo at the end. Yeah, that's great. Um, yes. It, musically, it's great and injects sort of a little bit of like fear and danger uh, back into the the portrait they're building. But but otherwise, I agree with you. You know, it's it's a house that um, certainly needs to go on Fixer Upper before <laughs> House Hunters International and uh, it's not doing great. <laughs> yeah, and also this is one of the rare songs on the album that I would actually call somewhat Dylan-esque. And it's to John Darnielle's credit that he's a major singer-songwriter who doesn't really deploy that very often because Dylan just hangs over everyone. <laughs> All right, here's track six, Idols of the King. disagreeable about this song but there's also not much to recommend it in my opinion i would i would say that yeah i mean the only the only thing unique about it to me is it's sort of i don't know if is it like a bossa nova rhythm yeah Yeah, that's the the way i saw it yeah Yeah. light bossa nova stylings yeah but graded on a curve against the rest of tallahassee this one's just kind of bland in there it's the the Jason Sudeikis of the album. <laughs> like, fine, but who needs it? <laughs> really? So I don't... Honestly, I don't have much to say about this one. <laughs> yeah, I think it's the the jazzy guitar chord that kind of just rubs me the wrong way a little bit. It's a little cloying. Uh, 
It is. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not a, this, of all the songs on here, this is the one that musically is just not very agreeable with me. Yeah, I don't have any real specific objections to this song, but this is definitely the one track I'm not sure the album actually needs. I do have to say, though, I do like the choice of having literal tolling bells in the background. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> and Darnell is, is probably the only indie singer-songwriter who would include a line like, And I dreamed of vultures in the trees around our house, cicadas and locusts, and the shrieking of innumerable gibbons. Yeah, it's still... I mean... <laughs> gibbons, by the way, are a type of ape. I had to look that up. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, as, as as long as it's expanded, your vocabulary will keep it. But mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I actually really, really like this one. That's funny. Oh, uh, it, it's, it's it's almost like a, it's like you're sitting kind of like, you know, sitting by the beach, except you're getting like stung by mosquitoes, presumably or something. <laughs> but I don't know. I like the I like the lyrics here. Well, I like the lyrics on the entire album because it's the mountain goats. But right here, right. I like the um, I like the all of them lined up device that recurs because he's referring to a different thing in each verse. Like uh, in the first one, it's clay pigeons. Uh, in the second one, it's the aforementioned vultures, cicadas, locusts, and gibbons. And, and in the third, it's bad ideas. And each time you get a little marimba, so it's like they're dancing in a line, like it's under the sea or something. <laughs> marimba is nice. I do like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's I mostly like this one as a change of pace. It is a change. It's a change of pace. It's I mean, like I said, it's fine. But after after something as interesting as uh the house that drip blood and before something as interesting as no children which we're about to get to it doesn't even seem to serve as a a palate cleanser for me it just seems like it's it just seems like filler yeah and for some reason with me at least pop flirtations with bossa nova it, it edges on cheesy very easily and this kind of does tough. that. I have a very, very high bossa nova tolerance, I think. <laughs> You're known for it. <laughs> yes, I'm known for my high bossa nova tolerance. Why? <laughs> and I don't know what the title is going for here. It's from the Arthurian legend. I'm not sure what it's meant to symbolize, just that this is like their drab Camelot or something. I don't know. The, we don't have to learn the meaning of everything. Yeah, yeah I'm not up on Arthurian legends. Mm-hmm. Um, Though it is interesting, you sort of mentioned the idea of a palate cleanser here, and I agree this one doesn't quite serve that focus, but I feel like there needs to be something between the House of the Drip Blood and No Children, because that oh, would just yeah. be quite a nosedive. I I would take Have to Explode, um, mm. which is going to come up. It's currently, it's track 11, and I I would just scoot it up there and and call it good. Just take one song off the album. Okay, we foreshadowed it enough. Here's a depressing anthem for the aughts. This is No Children. All right. I hope that our few remaining friends give up on trying to save us. I hope we come up with a fail-safe plot to piss off the dumb few that forgave us. I hope the fences we mended fall down beneath their own weight And I hope we hang on past the last exit I hope it's already too late And I hope the junkyard a few blocks from here Someday burns down And I hope the rising black smoke carries me far away And I never come back to this town again In my life, 
life and I hope you die I hope we both die Such a good song. I will All right then. <laughs> I will I I will try not to talk for like 15 minutes about this song, but it is so interesting. It's probably the Mountain Goats best known song and deservedly so. John Hodgman, for instance, has lamented, I really wish some people would put no children on karaoke machines all over the place. The comics curmudgeon used the song as part of a joke about the Lockhorns a few months back. <laughs> uh, the Lockhorns. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. It does make sense. At Mountain Goats concerts, you can buy turntable covers that are adorned with the red no symbol with a line striking through the word children. It's <laughs> it's really, it's clearly touched a chord with a lot of people. Now, when uh, my wife Bev and I saw the Mountain Goats live at the 40 Watt Club in Athens, Georgia, a few years back, uh, Darnielle told the story of this song's provenance. Uh, evidently... Uh, as I recall, when flying into Georgia some years back, he heard that terrible crossover country song, I Hope You Dance, by Leanne Womack in the airport. And when you get the choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. I hope you dance. The one that has the chorus that goes... When you get the choice to sit it out or dance, I hope you dance. <laughs> Darniel said that he wrote it the days in by the 40 watt with it stuck in his head. Only he eventually started changing the lyrics to I hope you die. <laughs> <laughs> he then wrote no children around that phrase after retiring to his days in room that night. And. Darnell told this story from the stage, and Bev and I happened to be staying at that day's end that night for the show, and Bev freaked the fuck out. She was so happy. <laughs> for It was like, for Bev, staying at the place no children was composed is was like staying at the Chelsea Hotel. <laughs> or alternatively, when I made that comparison to my... Or, or to Bev's friend Peyton, he suggested it might be closer to staying at the Landmark Hotel in California where Janice Joplin OD'd. At any rate, the titles of Mountain Goat songs are often completely opaque, but I have a theory about this one. It opens with the li the song opens with the lines, I hope our few remaining friends give up on trying to save us. I hope we come up with a fail-safe plot to piss off the dumb few who forgave us. Now... I like to think one component of that plan is to tell people that they don't plan to have children. Because from my own experience, lots of people get inexplicably offended when you tell them you have no kids simply because you don't want kids. Thank goodness Bev and I are now visibly of an age where people have stopped telling us, oh, you'll change your mind. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously... Children growing up in the alpha couple's house would turn out more messed up than kids raised in a Skinner box full of human bones and pornography. So no children is definitely a practical consideration for these two. But I also like to think it's one more little 
consciously self-destructive twist of the switchblade that they've jabbed into their community. <laughs> well, the way he uses the title here, so this is a completely different sentiment, but it reminds me of the movie You Can Count on Me. Because uh, that ti- that movie's title is never spoken in the script, but it's uh, it's just sort of in- inferred by context to be something the two main characters said to each other as kids. Right. So it hangs over the movie like the title does here. Uh, like just every every interaction that you see is kind of just like and it's sort of the same effect here, except completely and utterly devastating and depressing. <laughs> That's a great read on it. I saw when I was doing some research for this episode, and I believe it was on the Mountain Goats fandom wiki page where they tend to collect quotes. They have Darniel has talked about the songs live. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, I believe you said the title came from just trying to think of what is one thing that we absolutely know about this couple, and it's that they are not going to have kids. Yeah, it's like a PS. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I can really add more than you guys have said, other than this is obviously maybe, eh, that's my, not my favorite, but it, it's, it's up there. Um, and I have also stayed that Days in in the Athens, Georgia. It is lovely. <laughs> yeah. How's, how's the complimentary breakfast? I don't know that I had breakfast, actually. Oh, well. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Did you cut yourself shaving? I, <laughs> <laughs> I will say that it's easy to overlook with the, the lyrics and the, the jaunty piano line. There's some really neat uh, kind of nimble bass playing going on, too. That's easy to yeah, overlook. Yeah. yeah well, the, the, the way the song is in like this swinging 6-8, it like practically begs you to pull out your lighter. <laughs> And people do like this is one of those songs. This is one of his anthems. Yeah, we've somehow skipped the fact that the chorus is I hope you die. I hope we both die. And it is the 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 one you'll wait for at the concerts where everybody screams along. It's it's absurd and, and it's wonderful and communal. Mm-hmm. I love everything about this song. Yeah, those moments at, at a concert are like transcendent in hilarious, but also like really dark and emotionally meaningful ways. Um, yeah, I I really really love this song, and one of the things that makes Darnell's songwriting stand out, I think, is that he has some songs, and No Children is one of those that really aren't afraid to go down into the dark, you know, raw crevices, um, and really deal with the really dark emotions that are down there and lay them out very plainly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can you can both see the emotionality of it, but also the humor of trying to just sort of state some of the things that are down there. Um, and this song's a, a really great example of that, I think. I agree. And going to this song's use in like movies and TV, this uh, the song was used in the FX series You're the Worst, which is basically No Children, L.A. Millennial Edition. <laughs> <laughs> it's like watching like yeah no children play out in real time it's uh it's hard to watch watch it today <laughs> so uh that's the end of side one if you're an lp type and side two starts off with a bang this is see america right i was driving up from tampa when the radiator burst i was three sheets to the wind a civilian saw me first and then there was the cop and then the children standing on the Your love is like a cyclone in a swamp, and the weather's getting warmer. I was getting out of jail, heading to the Greyhound. You said you'd hop on one yourself and meet me on the way down. I was shaking way too hard to think, dead on my feet, about to drop. When I got the case of vodka from a car and walked the two miles to the bus stop. 
So first off, I can indeed confirm that being drunk would be a prerequisite before spending any amount of time in Inglis or Cedar Key, Florida. They are <laughs> boring and disgusting shitholes, and their communal flag should be all brown with a crescent moon cut out like an outhouse door. <laughs> that said, I love this song. It is the just the thwapping rhythm of it and the the distorted vocals which almost are a, a step back to the lo-fi of all his previous work but aren't quite it's like they keep finding new levels to give up on i don't i guess i don't know how to, how else to say it but like he's give, he's given up now he's now he's drunk driving just just because why not and it's it's it's, it's just so again very, very sad, but also, thanks to Darnell, weirdly, darkly funny. Well, I'm going to apologize in advance, Will, uh, by what I'm going to compare this to. Uh, th- to me, this sounds so much like Cake's song, Comfort Eagle. <laughs> we are building a religion. We are building it bigger. We are widening the corridors and adding more lanes. We are building a religion, a limited edition. And I actually like cake, so I'm not, uh, that's not a, a diss at all. But it it <laughs> really that. It, it, it took me a while to, to to pick up on that. I saw another reviewer compare it as well, but uh, I really like this. Uh, it's is well a noted cake hater. Oh, I don't know. I just they're not a cool band for most people. <laughs> I found that I, I kind of really I've, few cake fans. Whatever. Oh, really? I've never. I've only heard, to my knowledge, uh, the distance, which I liked fine. It's okay. You you can talk about cake, Dan. It's okay. <laughs> Finally. Well, I'm glad I set aside 15 minutes in this point in the end episode. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, but uh, I, I like having this, uh, this kind of gritty texture. Uh, it's kind of a new sound for the album. Uh, yeah, I like it. it. It really has that just kind of nasty dirt road feel to it. Uh, yeah. And that just sort of, aggr- I like these aggressive songs on here too. They're fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like. In addition to its its sound, I really like how this song connects the couple's relationship to the formidable and ever humid Florida weather. Uh, yeah. It's got lines that your love is like a cyclone in a swamp, and the weather's getting warmer. Um, wetlands brand. <laughs> <laughs> wetlands providing valuable ecosystem services and tearing relationships apart. Um, I you know I like the surf rock inspired lead guitar riffing on there, um, and oddly enough, I guess this was the single from the album. Hmm. Which, yeah. Isn't that strange? It's, it's it's fast, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess it does sound kind of cakey, so maybe they thought radios would, would know what to do with it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And it uh, might be more appealing. You have no children, right? It's sitting right there. <laughs> I, I guess because it says pissed off, maybe they maybe they didn't want to use it, but... It's also not very representative of the rest of the album. It, it seems like an odd choice to me. I wanted yeah. to throw out that the single's B-side, which is called New Chevrolet in Flames, isn't on the album, but I think it's easily as strong as any of the other songs on this album, and it is on Spotify uh, with the single version of this, so I'd recommend checking it out if you're a fan of this or other songs on the album. In the show notes, we'll make sure to include... Um any we, we've got a list of all the other alpha couple songs that that aren't on this album oh awesome 
So this actually reminds me of a chapter in Carrie Fisher's postcards from the edge, uh, which is basically a first person account of a bender at a party and the psychological steps that actually get somebody from point A to point B, et cetera, et cetera. And then you're at rock bottom. And I think what's most devastating about it in this particular song is that the alpha couple like literally meet in the middle geographically like a big symbol of their codependence. (laughs) And I realize that I'm comparing everything to like movies and books and things. It feels like John Darnielle is part of like the canon in a way that a lot of other artists aren't. I don't know. He pulls references from from everywhere, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's... On on transcendental youth, I believe there's there's a song for Amy Winehouse, hmm. but also a song a song for the Diaz brothers, who are minor characters from The Godfather. Is that what that's it's, about? Okay. I believe so. Huh. Mm-hmm. I never knew that. Not The Godfather. Um, Isn't it Scarface? Scarface. Oh yeah. You. Okay. Yeah. I my I apologize. I missed I misspoke. He'll pretty much pull from pull from anywhere he's he's a very literate very plugged in seeming sort of guy and it must be said just delightful on twitter and <laughs> is that sarcastic is that sarcastic? no he's great no, no, no. i've never seen no he's him. great on twitter i i realize that twitter is such a place that yeah it, it's it's rare to find delightful people on there but he's one of them you know, what's funny is i see people share his stuff i don't think even know who the mountain goats are like he's kind of like Twitter famous independent of the band in a way. Huh. Yeah, that was also my impression that he has sort of like a Twitter fandom of just like him and his posts independent of and, the band. And the account is the Mountain Goats too. It's not John Darnielle. Yeah, yeah, he's he's just a separate public intellectual figure, I think, at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um but anyway, if we're done here, let's move on to Peacocks, which is about NBC's new streaming service. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's how you sell out, right? <laughs> I hear them squeal I see them preen Fans all spread out Neat and clean Head out to the porch Feel the wind stopping Feel the sun scorch Fear for my safety You can see it in my eyes In an hour or two We will See, this one's a, a a very pretty song, and it's in. I don't know what else to say about it musically, except that it's it's nice. But it recently occurred to me that peacocks are a you know, uh, Darnell is himself. He's a vegetarian. He's uh, an animal lover like me. But it occurred to me that peacocks are a perfect metaphor for the alpha couple. If you're going to choose an animal, because they are gorgeous creatures but they are really not pleasant to spend any time with 
because they they make us sound like. Well, that's why they're used as guards. <laughs> what? They're well, they're used as guards on like big estates and stuff because if they see people, they yell at them and then uh, put all their plumage out. Yeah, it's so on on a very 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 surface level, they're they're beautiful, but. No, you don't want to be around peacocks. Who wants to be around peacocks? <laughs> Idiots want to be around peacocks, and that is that. It's a beautiful day in the village, and you are a horrible peacock. <laughs> so I feel like Darniel... I, I don't know that this is necessarily where he was going with it, but it... And, and I know that peacocks are an animal that just sort of runs wild in the the Florida region that this album takes place in, but I just feel like they're a good metaphor for the for these mm-hmm. two irksome people <laughs> well the way i read the peacocks in this song is that like it's a sign of how the most extraordinary beautiful if annoying things can be unimpressive when just everything sucks like the, an example i have is that a friend of mine who used to live in new york he once described passing judd hirsch on the street in manhattan uh, and then he did a double take and then he thought i hate this city <laughs> what and, just like the uh, just the experience of like passing a celebrity on the street and just being like so used to it and so disillusioned by like the experience of living in New York that, that that's kind of what this reminds me of uh, just just how your experience being in a location can get so toxic that even the extraordinary things can grate on you I see, I I think I see what you mean mm-hmm. anyone else oh uh, yeah I, I really like this one but I don't have a lot to say about it it is really pretty and it's kind of a nice shift of gears after see america right but uh i don't have any great wisdom on peacocks to share unfortunately yeah after the last two tracks i really like the stillness that it brings to the album yeah. um mm-hmm. and it's it's almost peaceful but still a little bit foreboding which i like i saw a comment on on the dreaded genius website where someone like they said they, <laughs> they, they kind of described as being like being in the state of quiet after an argument where you kind of walk outside in the uh, the stillness of the night after this big explosion and just kind of taking in the quiet which i like i think it's an interesting I really like i really like that reading. yeah 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 thanks guy yeah it's a very well sequenced album like uh, like i said before the second half of the album is basically past the point of no return for the alpha couple oh for sure uh, but it's nice having like little at least like tonal respites like this along the way <laughs> Sure. If you go along with the conceit that there ever was a point of return for them where they could successfully get back to being functioning humans before this album begins, <laughs> side B is definitely well past that point. All right. The Alpha Couple's got those international small arms traffic blues like you do. My love is like a powder keg My love is like a powder keg In the corner of an empty warehouse Somewhere just outside of town About to burn down like a Cuban plane 
My love is like a Cuban plane flying from Havana up the Florida coast to the glades Soviet made. Before discussing the song, I just want to mention that I once saw a burly, unsmiling security guard bust out laughing because an entire concert crowd was simultaneously singing Our Love is Like the Border Between Greece and Albania, (laughs) (laughs) which is admittedly a pretty funny (laughs) song to see a room full of people sing. Um, It's an only only at the Mountain Goats moment. (laughs) Exactly. I, I really like this song, and I think this song is a terrific example of why it was a smart move for Darniel to make the leap from the, the tiny labels that he was releasing things on to the larger indies like 4AD, and uh, now he's on Merge. So, so 4AD is a, a, an indie label? I don't know... I, I, would, I would call it a, a larger... I, I guess they are distributed by Electra. I was never quite sure where I would just are. call them a big... I always just think of them as like a big indie, like Matador or yeah, something okay. like that. But I, I don't know the... I don't know their official uh, <laughs> ranking. <laughs> but as far as uh, this album goes, going to... Like, accepting their whatever offer they gave him and then going to Tarbox, which is a terrific, smartly run studio. If you listen to Peter Hughes' bass in this song, you can hear like every vibration of every string it's just so well recorded and to me that that serves this song so well i don't know what else to say about it you know and this in the song's content will i'm sure you guys will get into i just wanted to point out that the that man this is this is a a beautiful little bit of music if for people who don't need their music to be super Con- convoluted and overwritten <laughs> John <laughs> so this is one of those songs that really pushes just how specific Darniel can be with his lyrics and I love this song but it also does kind of tip over into the ridiculous um, though though I do think the song is intended to be funny um, in parts. And and so, mm-hmm. you know, you have lines like our love is like the border between Greece and Albania, which steal the show. But you also then, you know, not much longer later have lines like there is a shortage in the blood supply, but there is no shortage of blood, which really, for me, just snaps the song back down from being purely amusing and also reminds you of the darkness residing just below that humor. Mm-hmm. Um and and I really like that dynamic. Um, it's also probably worth noting that the last two lines of this song are a reference to The Best of My Love by The Emotions, which has a very different vibe than this album. Just think of Boogie Nights hearing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd say as super nasal indie slash alternative singers, semi-ironically quoting from 70s disco hits go, this one does indeed defeat They Might Be Giants' allusion to I Will Survive in their B-side, the biggest one. Should've changed that stupid lock, should've thrown away the key, no, no, not I, I will survive. 
Biggest one. That's quite a poll, Will. <laughs> I mean, th- this is one that doesn't leave a huge impression on me. It's it's pretty, um, but it's one that's kind of yet to really warm its way into my brain. Mm-hmm. Okay, next up, it's Have to Explode, the latest film by director Michael Bay. <laughs> Tile floor of the bathroom, scrubbed clean and bright, checkerboard wine. Towels from the Ritz, Carlton Hotel in Kingston, Jamaica. I can still see the rust-colored stains today. The stage is set. Someone's gonna do something someone else will regret. I speak in smoke, signals and you answer in code. Fuse will have to run out sometime Something here will eventually have to explode Have to explode This is another beautiful and new to the band, uh, newly subtle song that is a very spiteful discussion of the two of these characters essentially waiting for the other one to blink no matter how much of a knowingly stupid toll these little pyric victories exact upon them both they know that there are no winners they know that the other person is is already feeling as bad as they can and they themselves are feeling as bad as they can. And I don't know. For people, for indie indie rock fans, I, I feel like this is the sort of album that is, is a, just a treasure and that it makes you feel these things and feel this, feel empathy for these people who I'm sure are horrible to deal with on a day-to-day basis like if you if you serve them in a a coffee shop or something they seem like big pains in the ass (laughs) but at the same time you understand them you get inside them and i don't i don't know of any other songwriter who can do so with such i i feel like i'm overusing the word humanity but that's that's what I turned to John Darnielle for, and that's what I think he accomplishes well in in this song and on this album. Well, earlier during uh, during Sea America, right, Brent mentioned the weather aspect of like the the setting of this album, and uh, it comes up again here. Like, so I lived the first thirty years of my life in California, where it can get pretty hot, but there's no humidity, and I didn't realize until I moved to Michigan how much humidity acts as like an everything sucks multiplier. <laughs> yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so just a, it, it's so well painted on this song, like just lying against the tile of a, like like trying to sweat the poison out, like he says. And uh, it, it's it's true. Like uh, you anyone who has pets know uh, that like they always go for like the tiled floor when it's really hot. <laughs> 
But but anyway, if you want to see a really great, uh, you know what? I was going to make another movie comparison, but I'm not going to. <laughs> Somebody else like talk. <laughs> no, speaking of like the weather, that that struck me too because I I live in the southeastern United States where I have dealt with trying to sleep at night when it is extremely hot and humid, and it is very unpleasant. It makes you wonder if I don't know what point of dilapidation they are in the house where if they even have electricity at this point or air conditioning right i doubt they have air conditioning i bet it's just a fan blowing at them if anything oh that'd be awful in tallahassee <laughs> yeah you picture like the one <laughs> the ceiling fan that just it's pushing hot air around <laughs> yeah huh. like they have in in old courtroom movies <laughs> <laughs> This is a song that kind of snuck up on me. Uh, I didn't really notice it the first few listens, but my God, it it's, might be one of my favorites. It's just so evocative and just the emotional exhaustion that he puts across in this song really hits me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, it's yeah, I love this one. Well, and just the title have to explode and just how like calmly sung it is and just uh, imagining like lying against the tile and just like kind of in the back of your mind, you're just thinking about like how pissed off you are, but you don't have the energy for it right now. What an amazing lyric on this song. Yeah, yeah. Darniel's vocals are, are particularly delicate on this song all around, but his delivery of the line, name one thing about us to anyone could love, absolutely guts me. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is This is such a good track yeah. it, it is and one one last thing to note i that i, th- I think is um, worth mentioning is uh the piano on this song is barely noticeable it's performed by franklin bruno who is has been a longtime cohort of darniel he's um bruno plays in his own band called nothing painted blue who are pretty much just generic as generic can be and he's also in a band with darniel called the extra glens or the extra lens depending on which name they choose to release albums under but on this song in particular if you listen for the piano you will never then unhear it it's hard to hear at first but it's so again subtle but vital yeah it's great like it's one of those little touches that i think again like getting back to where's the full band uh (laughs) i think those little touches are what really (laughs) elevates this album makes it kind of have the effect that it does yeah i I think he wasn't really so much going for like the benefit of like a full band sound on this album anyway as opposed to like being able to work in a studio which is just Mm -hmm. uh, a whole new a whole new level from like singing into a compressor in your boom box. Well, being able to to be able to fine tune those elements and have more control. Mm -hmm. Okay. If we're done here, let's give the next song, the old college try. Do we have to eat a lot of uh, live goldfish and then stuff of salt all into a phone booth? If you mean goldfish crackers, then yeah, that describes my college experience. (laughs) From the housetops to the gutters, from the ocean to the shore, Warning signs have all been bright and garish Far too great a number to ignore From the cities to the swamplands From the highways to the hills Our love has never had a leg to stand on 
From the aspirins to the crosstops to the Ellavilles, but I will walk down to the end with you, if you will come all the way down with me. It took me a long time to get this song because it is kind of the what the fourth kind of quieter song in a row and i am i am used to a john darniel who will strum at his guitar in in the, in the most frenzied fashion <laughs> like not not pick at it not do arpeggios just strum and and sort of bellow and, and make hear... awesome facial expressions yeah <laughs> And it it turns out here he's he's trying something a little quieter and that it takes a little longer to appreciate. But once you do, I it's it's very much worth it. And this song really shows how these two are ramping up for something ugly. the 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 music itself is beautiful. The Leslie organ is amazing. When he says you can, you know, uh, you can feel it in the rotten air tonight. Something's coming that's even worse than what they've got now. And like I said, it's I I don't know how they keep finding lower levels to smash through. Well, I can feel it in the rotten air tonight. That strikes me as like potentially a reference to Phil Collins in the air tonight, which itself is about a divorce. Those early. 80s Phil Collins albums were. I don't know. It strikes me as another potential sly reference on John Darnielle's part. Well, it could. It certainly could be, as we've seen with uh, the reference to the emotion song. I didn't. I didn't know that, and I didn't make the connection. But did John Darnielle also witness a guy drowning and not help him? <laughs> <laughs> Damn. Well, so this song is kind of like a more resigned. No children like because the organ even makes it feel like kind of like funereal, like the two of them are marching to the grave together hand in hand. Uh, and then you got like that nice electric piano. That's what it is, right? That's yeah, what it sounds like to me. So. Yeah, it, it gives it some warmth, which mm-hmm. which you need. You need that at a funeral. I think I'm not sure Tallahassee needs more warmth, but I agree with <laughs> you that it's a it's a really <laughs> lovely tone uh, to add to this song. I really love how it's just such a vivid depiction of like an unhealthy codependent relationship and how the song's sound overall is gentle enough that if you were listening to this like extremely casually, it could almost trick you into thinking it's a romantic song with like refrains like I will walk down to the end with you. This is probably though actually one of my favorite tracks on the album. And if you need an extra endorsement, why I started talking with a guy at the second Mountain Goats show I ever went to, and he had actually only ever heard this specific song, uh, and then saw that the Mountain Goats were in town and decided to buy tickets, having heard <laughs> none of their other catalog. So if that doesn't speak to the power of the song, I'm not sure what really will. <laughs> I think I'm kind of where Will was at the beginning with this song, because this song hasn't really grabbed me yet. Uh, and I think maybe it, at, at this point in the album, I'm kind of losing focus on the lyrics a little bit. So I'm not, I guess I haven't been as observant of the lyrics in this song, and that's part of the problem, because I think maybe the instrumental flourishes here are kind of distracting me a bit with the organ and the electric piano. But uh, it's understandable. It is, um, it's like I said, Tallahassee is, it's a very different tone for John Darnielle and it's successful 
mm-hmm. at every at everything he's trying to do. It's but it does. I I feel like it requires you to meet him halfway at, at certain points. Wasn't their last album all electric piano? They've done one since then, but uh, but Goths that album, which is all about like the seventies goth scene. There's not a single guitar on there. I think it was all yeah. Fender oh, wow. I saw him. I think I saw him on that tour, and they did a lot of electric piano. Yeah, I think they were using a Fender Rhodes for that whole album. Okay, it's time for the penultimate track, Lucky 13, so to speak. <laughs> this is Oceanographer's Choice. Well, guy in a skeleton costume Comes up to the guy in the Superman suit Runs through him with a broadsword I put the television off If I think things through Long enough and hard enough I'll somehow get to you But then you came in And we locked eyes You kicked the ashtray over As we came toward each other Stuck my cigarette out against the west wall Quickly lit another Look at that Would you look at that So that is one of only three songs on Tallahassee to use any drums, uh, not counting the sort of distant cymbal swells on game shows Touch Our Lives. And I suppose the the bells on um, uh, Idols of the King, if you want to count those. Regardless, it's a very welcome, hugely propelled song <laughs> that is this this long building, long simmering climax between these two. And while there's there is a lot of violent imagery on the song, I don't I don't think it's meant to be taken literally that the two are beating each other up and, and smashing the house to flinders i i think i think of it as a hate sex song that's what it sounds like to me like it's about terrifying hate sex that's kind of where i was i was headed myself they sort of sort of vacillating between knuckle dusters and french ticklers (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) but there's a sense in which it reminds me of uh the song the past is a grotesque animal by of montreal in which Kevin Barnes essentially vomits up everything horrible about his real life personal relationship problems and confusion. terrifying 
it's just terrifying to think that there's a, a stage you can get to in a, a personal, ostensibly romantic relationship, a relationship where you and your your loved one are supposed to be there for each other no matter what, and you wind up being essentially enemies. You know, obviously the the of Montreal song is is a different issue in in many ways, but Oceanographer's Choice is this yeah, this hate sets hate sex song that I guess I it it baffles me and it just makes me very sad, but it is also catchy as all hell and musically is probably my favorite song on the album. It's also kind of a burst of energy. Like uh well Dan was mentioning uh, kind of falling asleep lyrically on the previous song. Well, the way that this song opens with the, uh, yeah, the uh, the guy in a skeleton <laughs> costume comes up to the guy in a Superman suit, runs through him with a broadsword. Like, you notice that. I notice that every you. time I listen to the album. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's just a bit of imagery, like that was on the television or something, just based on like what was, uh, uh, just based on the following lyrics. But the way I think of this song is that this is sort of the scary after hours penultimate track of the album. And for that reason, I'm going to call it the album's Twilight Time, the scary after hours penultimate track from Days of Future Past by the Moody Blues. <laughs> Except this time it's about terrifying hate sex. Don't do that. <laughs> it's funny because with the with those opening lyrics, for whatever reason, it always makes me just picture the setting for this whole song to be at a Halloween party. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which... <laughs> I'd, yeah, I'd, the, yeah. <laughs> that had never occurred to me before. <laughs> I, th- that's how I've always thought of this song, which adds like a really weird flair to it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I've never known quite what to do with that that opening uh, couplet. It, it reminds me, uh, <laughs> I'll take over Rich's role and say that it reminds me of the opening to A Serious Man, the Coen Brothers film, mm-hmm. <laughs> where there's that that completely separate story about the, oh, the, yeah. the Dibbuk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I'm giving, if I'm getting an invite to uh, compare it to something from cinema, well, it just, well, I don't have anything specific in mind, but it just feels like the opening shot of like something ridiculous. And then it pans away and it's the TV, but then the surrounding situation is terrifying. Oh, I like that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I have no yeah. examples for that. I'm disappointed. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't have any specific examples. I'm just kind of directing my own movie at this point. <laughs> Tallahassee, the movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun for the whole family. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I really love the dark electronic sounds that, that uh, you know, sort of drag out there in the, yeah. the outro of this song. It makes a really nice atmosphere. I do want to add, though, that actually there's a really good reworked version of this song that they played on their 2016 tour uh, where Matt Douglas plays a saxophone uh, solo outro, which is really great and enjoyable in an entirely different way. When I finally get what I deserve
That's interesting. Okay, final track. John Darnielle brings things crashing to a close with Alpha Rat's Nest. Are the fitful sleep and the fire engines that I dream of when I dream someday we'll both wake up for good. I will try hard not to scream. The evening wind will shake the blind. You're stirring from your slumber. We've got something hateful on our minds. Oh, sing, sing, sing for the dying of the day. Sing for the flames that will rip through here And the smoke that will carry us away Yes, sing for the damage we've done And the worst things that we'll do Open your mouth up and sing for me now And I will sing for you It it just feels right to me that this follows... Uh, oceanographer's choice and it sort of wraps things up with a ragged bow saying sing for the damage we've done and the worst things that we'll do open your mouth up and sing for me now and i will sing for you these two are going to keep doing this forever with fleeting moments of inebriated tenderness not coming close to making up for their general loathsomeness and constant torment of one another And yet Darniel finds their humanity beneath the black humor and their drunk driving awfulness. It's I I feel like this song is beautiful. This is (laughs) this is also particularly uh, personal to me because my neighbors across the street refer to me and my wife as the vampires because we (laughs) never go outside during the day. (laughs) Well, you got to record this podcast, Will. Yeah, so the line we do we do our best vampire routines just puts a spring in my step. Wait, so do they go on after this, or does their house burn down in this song? I, is that are we meant to take that literally, or that's that's what it looks like to me? I didn't. I've never taken. Well, I'm just I'm thinking of the lyrics like uh, "sing for the flames that will rip through here and the smoke that will carry us away." I don't know. Maybe I'm taking that way too literally. But uh, you mentioned making. You made. You've already made two breaking bad references like <laughs> I, I picture john darniel walking away playing the song in his guitar while the house explodes behind him like walter right. white with the car <laughs> well he thought the car was gonna do it but then he had to sit oh right the, uh, right right no, no just just a bunch of like to be the badass no see i've never taken that literally i i feel like i, th- I think these two are just doomed they're stuck and they are never going to do anything to get better. I think they could, but I don't think they will. Yeah, yeah. I I agree with Will's reading on this song. And, and I really like your characterization of it as a bow on everything. Um, this is a type of song that I really wish artists would do more often. And that it's like short and catchy and at the end of an album. But it also manages to succinctly touch on all of the major themes uh, for the characters of the album or just that the album is touched on. I, the two recent examples of this are uh, Perfect Places by Lord on Melodrama and also Jungle Land by Springsteen on Born to Run. I think are good examples of, of these songs that really just sort of tie up everything thematically. Um, and we've also gone through a whole album about the Alpha Couple and we finally get a song with Alpha in the title. So <laughs> <laughs> I think just after the dramatic explosion of the last track, I'm always surprised to hear this come up every time I hear this album because it's just such a upbeat, happy little song musically. 
And the yeah. the baseline actually reminds me of a lot of uh, the violent films. Oh yeah, it has a lot of that kind of feel to it. Uh, but it, it, it's a great way to end it. And I kind of, I guess, I let interpretations I read kind of color my view that that they break they break up in, at the end of this album in some readings at least. It's kind of what I had gleaned from really? other reviews and interpretations. You know what? I would honestly be happy for the two of them if they did, <laughs> but I don't think they do. Hmm. I think they're stuck in this Kafka-esque prison of their own making. They at least leave Florida? <laughs> <laughs> you can never leave Florida. <laughs> <laughs> With that in mind, Will, what are your what are your closing thoughts on Tallahassee and the Mountain Goats? Okay. Yeah. I'm 39 years old now. And not that my story is everyone's story, but for me, I feel like the older I get, I don't get more callous, but I get more calloused. That is to say, my core doesn't get harder toward the world, but the world has built up a callous on me that's increasingly difficult for what I consider the real me, the idealistic, loving, humane me to break through. It's sad and it's frustrating and borderline debilitating sometimes. And John Darnell certainly isn't immune to that, which he's been open about. But to me, he is able to continually access that core of caring and humanity more reliably and for a longer ongoing period than almost anyone I can think of. And this album is the best example of that where you've you've got two characters you know it is it is you can take it almost as a a cinematic approach to to a a rock album as rich has been saying (laughs) over and over again (laughs) i feel like it's incredibly impressive and i it's the sort of thing i i almost feel jealous that i can't write i i feel like everybody should should have this and and give it a chance dan how about you yeah i was new to this album so my interpretations are fairly recent um but this was really you know i've heard maybe three or four mountain guts albums before this and this is the one that's by far grabbed me the most the thing i really like about darn yell is that he really has a way of tapping into these kind of emotional zones without being maudlin at all like they're very uh kind of i don't know how to put it like there's no melodrama it's just very direct and uh, personal and yes you know singer songwriter is not really a genre i gravitate toward very often you know i am try as i might i am just not a dylan guy so when i find Mm -hmm. singer songwriters like that who tap into these sorts of things it's a pretty impressive feat (laughs) to reach me um but I, i really uh Thank you guys for getting me into this album because I had totally overlooked it in my kind of surface level mountain goats exploration before. What if John Darnell had gone wildlife along with my wife? Oh man, if only. Oh. <laughs> oh. Brent, how about you? I think you two have really succinctly sort of delved into how John Darnell can really tap into the fundamental humanity of, of anyone and how his songs contain that and, and how that really makes them special. And this album, I think, is a really great introduction to the Mountain Goats because it showcases that so well. Um, and it captures both this really dark and emotionally heavy 
portrait of this doomed couple, but also doesn't get bogged down by the subject matter. And and it remains funny and ambitious uh, while also, you know, hitting all of those emotions and keeping the core humanity of its subjects in mind. And it's it's an impressive feat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, we've covered some great lyricists on the show, like Def Leppard, for example. <laughs> Uh, but John Darnielle is the first I would actually equate to like the level of like a poet laureate or something. Uh, like I can understand why there are people who only listen to the mountain goats as the podcast of the same name (laughs) refers to because like the music feels almost like the extension of the work of like a great novelist or short story writer, like being into Vonnegut or something. And Vonnegut just happened to make albums. And that's pretty Mm -hmm. high praise from me. Uh, I've only experienced, yeah, yeah, I've only experienced, uh, Uh, the mountain goats catalog and like you know fits and spurts bits and pieces so far but this one definitely makes me want to hear more with that in mind what else should we hear will i i feel like get lonely is a close runner-up for the best mountain goats album but it is an unflinchingly intense complex exploration of grief loss and mental illness with almost no humor to offer respite the way darniel usually includes so if you've really got to brace yourself for that one, um, but if you feel like you're up for it, definitely go for it. Um, as far as where the new listener should go from here, if you don't feel quite like you're ready to be broken into a million pieces, his album All Eternal's Deck is a comparatively eclectic collection of seemingly self-contained songs, many of which are terrific. And for the more adventurous, the album The Life of the World to Come is a wonderful album whose songs are all named after Bible verses, each exploring his character's personal interpretation of faith and how it affects their lives, from idiots who use it as an excuse to be destructive to people who legitimately need their belief to hang on. And then there's also the one-two punch of a song about animals that are extinct because humans wipe them out for absolutely no reason, followed by one about Darnell's mother-in-law dying, which is as heartbreaking as Mark Kozelik's Ruth Marie. If you can get through those two songs without crying, either your antidepressants are working well or you are a sociopath. Brent, what about you? Yeah, so I'll start by putting in a plug for my favorite Mountain Goats album, which I also think is one of their most accessible ones and doesn't nearly get enough credit, and that's 2012's Transcendental Youth. Um, You really see the band musically branching out in its sound in interesting and rewarding musical directions while maintaining Darnell's still incredible lyric writing. Um, It's a series of vignettes in that album, uh, so it hangs together a little bit like Tallahassee. Um, and I wanted to include a brief clip of the title track here to give you a sense of how it carries Darniel's lyrics uh, in more musically interesting ways. Cold through broken baseboards, I despise this town. Snow on the sunroof, two stories down. I also wanted to put in a quick plug here um, for an artist who is excellent on their own right, but also has a connection to the Mountain Goats, and that's Julian Baker. Her second album, titled Turn Out the Lights, is particularly excellent. Her songwriting is is really raw and gutting, 
in the best possible way for those things. And if you like the mountain goats, I think you'll really love her stuff. Uh, but her connection to the mountain goats is that she interpolated a section of No Children's lyrics as an introduction uh, slash addition to her song Blacktop in a live performance that was uploaded online by a fan and then got a ton of attention. And Darnell was talking about No Children uh, with NPR as part of their American Anthems series. And he referred to it actually as the best version of that song, adding, um, quote, a cover should unearth something in the song that the original performer failed to unearth. There was a profound tenderness in that version, and it made me feel sad for the characters to unearth that note with such strength as she did with such clarity and such patience is the thing. My version hammers you with a bunch of words. Her version lets the words bear their own weight so that by the time you get to the punchline, you wish them well. You want them to get better. There is no sign of land You are coming down with me Hand in a lovable head And I hope you die I hope we both well, my recommendations, well, you, you have to make sure you hear the Sunset Tree from 2005, for one. It is it's what got me into the band, and it's it's fantastic. Though, I was not much of a lyrics person when I first listened to the album, and I opened a compilation for a girl with the song Dance Music. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, I'm going to go Discord and Rhyme Book Club with this one, actually, and recommend John Darniel's uh, Wolf in White Van which is about a reclusive game designer with a facial disfigurement who participates in a play-by-mail role-playing game, and you learn about his life and past in bits and pieces, and it's it's really, really cool. It's a great book. And, and he, has an, he has another novel called Universal Harvester that I haven't read. Uh, do you know that one, Will? Yes. I um, bought it and read the entire thing that night. It starts off seeming like it's going to be a almost like a slasher novel. <laughs> Just just a cheap uh, 80s Friday the 13th ripoff sort of thing. But it then gets and I'm not spoiling anything that Darnell hasn't already said on like NPR interviews and stuff. It then takes a turn and it's more about grief, which he says is the ultimate horror. It is a horror novel, but that's mm -hmm. that's the horror being unable to. You know, knowing you've lost something that you you cannot possibly get back. It's it's very well done. I, I liked it a lot. It's but if you're going to go for one, I would go for Wolf and White Van. That's the one that's that's more fascinating. And yeah, just frankly, the place to start. I'd second both of those, although both are rewarding reads. But it's it's always interesting to see him explore, as we sort of talked about a little bit, this sense of human connection and, and the sense of seeing humanity in everyone through both of these books premises, either, either yeah. horror or through the, the game designer character. It's, it's a great way to sort of get a sense of how he thinks about people, but through a different medium. Yes. <laughs> okay. That was quite an emotional journey and I would expect no less from you, Will. <laughs> <laughs> so next album. Oh boy. The title of our podcast has been such a tease, such a tease, but it's because we've been keeping you hungry. Like the wolf. Ha! That's right. 
for our holiday episode. It's finally, finally time for Duran Duran's Rio. And we're being joined by another return guest, Libby Cudmore, who mentions the album no fewer than three times in her novel, The Big Rewind. So I invited her back. Roll credits. Thank you for listening to Discord and Rhyme. You can buy or stream Tallahassee and other albums by the Mountain Goats at your local music land, as well as Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, and Amazon. And we've made you a Spotify playlist that you can find on our website, discordpod.com. Follow Discord and Rhyme on Twitter at discordpod for news, updates, and other music stuff that strikes our fancy, often related to the Moody Blues. Editing is by me, and special thanks to Mike DeFabio for production and composing our theme song. You can hear more of his music at otherleadingbrand.bandcamp.com. You can also check out Will's music at disclaimer.bandcamp.com. See you next album, and be ever wonderful.